Thank you for joining us today for Kingdom Rock Radio. On today's broadcast, Pastor Sumiko Stroud begins a brand new series entitled The Book of James. This is session two. On who James is or was uh, and what the letter that he wrote uh, is all about. So we're going to dive in there uh, today. James chapter 1, beginning at verse number 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. We'll stop right there for just a minute. Count it all joy. Now, I know a lot of us are familiar with this verse, and you hear people say every time you're going through something, they'll come at you with, count it all joy when you uh, fall into uh, various trials and temptations and whatnot. Now, what this does not mean is that if you're at a point in your life where, you know, your house was foreclosed on, one car doesn't work, a tree fell on the other car, you broke a leg, and your dog growls at you every time you go by, that is not saying that you should then burst into that song, I got the joy, 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 joy down in my... No, that's not what he's talking about. Now, if you have the presence of mind to do that, great, but most of us won't, right? But what he's telling us is that when, because it's not an if, trials will come. It's a win. They are going to come to each and every one of us at various parts and times in our lives, but they're coming for a purpose. And so we have the choice of deciding when they come, how we're going to view them. Am I going to whine and complain to any and everybody that will listen? Oh, woe is me, how bad my life is. I thought God loved me. I'm a good child, a good servant. I've sown good seeds. This shouldn't be happening to me. Um, I just don't understand. Are we going to take that standpoint or are we going to say, look, you know what? Everything that could be wrong seems like it is wrong right now. And I don't understand why, but I know that there's an opportunity in this for me to learn and to grow and to become stronger or better than I am right now. And when we count it all joy, that's what we do. We say, look, this is, this is a bad situation. Nobody's going to deny that. That was a bad situation. But let me try to learn something from this. I don't want to have to go through anything like this again. So if this is coming to make me stronger, let me learn the lesson that I need to learn so that if nothing else, when this is over, if I see somebody else in a similar situation, I can comfort them. I can help them. So that's what we're going to count it all joy. So the next time... We are going through some things. Let's try to keep that in our mind. Which mindset am I going to approach it with? Am I going to be the whining and complainer? And, you know, we all do it. And you may want to say, well, you know, instead of whining and complaining the whole time, I'm going to give myself 15 minutes to get it all out. And then I'm going to suck it up where they say, man up and go on. Because everybody is going through something, right? Yeah. And let's just try to make the best of this bad situation. Now, um, when we fall into various trials, now, fall into, phrase here, this, the verb, the Greek verb that's translated fall into uh, is also the same Greek verb that's used in the passage in Luke 10, 
30, and it says, And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. So when trials and tribulations, when these trials come along and we fall into, that is not us going out and starting trouble. You know, where you go and find the biggest dude in the room and you keep poking the bear and then he turns and drops the hammer on you, right? That's not that. This is, think about what was going on, this man in Luke 30. He was going about his life, right? He was uh, going from Jerusalem to Jericho, fell among thieves. Somebody jumped him. They come, robber thieves came at him, stripped him of his clothes, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. As we are going through life from Jerusalem to Jericho, wherever your Jerusalem to Jericho is, as we are going through life, there are going to be times when trials will just fall, we will fall into them. It will, we will have just been going about, doing our thing, and something will just jump on us, get a hold of us. And when we go through trials, they pretty much do that, don't they? Strip you of your clothes and leave you wounded, battered, and bruised, and a lot of times half dead, right? So that is what we're talking about. We're not talking about when we go and stir things up. Because a lot of people will, you know, we'll do things and we'll cause problems. And then we'll say, well, you know, when, when it gets hard, well, the Lord's not going to put anything on me that's too strong for me to bear. And he won't. But we can put ourselves in situations that we didn't need to be in. But this is what we're talking about is as we're going about life uh, and trials and tribulations, things come. Okay, now, so we're, we're just going through and things are coming at us. Know that, uh, knowing this, that the trying of your faith uh, worketh patience or the testing of your faith. Now, we know we're all familiar with testing, right? Everything in this life is tested. The chairs that you are sitting on, when they assembled them, they tested them. Why? Because they didn't want to sell them to us. We get them here, and then we put them out there and just Norma sit on one and fall, right? They didn't, they didn't want that to happen to you, Sister Norma, so they tested these chairs uh, before we purchased them. The cars that we drive, they go through all kinds of tests, and they like to publish the kinds of tests. And, you know, you see the little crash test dummies. They try any little thing possible because they want to be able to fix it. Because when it's out there in a real scenario, they want it to hold up. Because an airbag in a car does me no good if they've never tested to see that if I crash into something, the thing pops out. If they just say, you know, this will be a good idea. Let's put this in here. But we don't ever check it. It may work. It may not, but you know, they didn't have an airbag before, so it's a 50-50 chance. I wouldn't want anything like that. I want to know that when I am out there in the middle of something, it's going to work. Think about even like with our cell phones. You know, when you get a cell phone, you, you, you try to see where you can go that you're going to still have signal. Because I want to know that, God forbid, I'm out in the middle of the woods, you know, at that cornfield with the children of the corn, that I'm going to have some cell signal so I can get, you know, some help to me. We have cornfields out here, y'all, and that movie just scared the bejesus out of me when I was very young. But anyway, I, we, you may test it because you want to see how much weight can it hold, right? What's it going to hold up uh, when things are out there, when, when I'm in the midst of something? 
Same thing with our faith. I can stand up here and tell you that I believe in God, that I believe that he loves me, that I believe that he will heal me, that I believe that he will provide for me and take care of me. But if I never have to put any pressure on that faith, I don't know for sure, do I? When we're in relationships with one another, um, of course you can be in a relationship with, with somebody when you're getting along. But what happens when that other person rubs you the wrong way? When they say something or do something to you that's harmful, that's the true test of that friendship is can you get past that and still move on and still be able to work together? So our faith being tested is a good thing. It doesn't feel like it in the midst of it, but at least then we know how much it can bear. So that if I know that my faith can only take a little bit of weight, then I can say, you know, Lord, help me to strengthen this up. You know, if I can't take somebody, if I go to Walmart and I'm telling somebody about the Lord and they say, I don't want to hear that mess. If that destroys me, then I know what? Don't go to a foreign mission event to try to evangelize. You don't have what it takes just yet, right? I would rather learn that at the Bremen Walmart than to be somewhere overseas and be like, huh, they don't really want to hear this gospel. What am I going to do now? So the testing of our faith uh, brings patience. It helps us to know what we can endure. And that's what another word for patience is, is endurance. It lets us know how much we can hold, how much we can withstand. And we need to know that as we're going about life so that when there are situations, we will, can be you know, better equipped. Because if I know I want to participate in a marathon, and let's say I have to run, what, what marathon? They run some crazy number of miles, like 26 miles or 26 something. And if I, somebody tells me, okay, I want you to be in this marathon, I'm like, okay, well, the marathon's going to take place in June, and I have to run 26 miles. And they're like, well, how far can you run now? From me to you? <laughs> Unless I feel like my life is threatened, and then I may be able to crank it up a notch. So what does that tell me? I'm not going to be able to endure. I'm going to need some more testing of my faith. I'm going to have to get out there and practice some more and get it going. Else, when I get out there in June and they, you know, click the little starting gun, everybody's going to take off running and about, you know, five or six feet into this thing. And I'll be like, I'll see y'all later. Somebody come around and pick me up because I'm not going to make it. So the testing of our faith brings endurance. It lets us know what we can handle, how much we can take, and then it continues. You know, you put a little bit more weight on it, a little bit more weight on it, and we can handle more and we can do more um, because we need to let, in verse 4 it says, but let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. We're, we're aiming for perfection, not perfection in what we see that all the I's are dotted and T's are crossed, but we're looking for maturity uh, because that's what the letter of James is about, us becoming spiritually mature. Something that offended me as a Christian when I was 17 um, and had only been really born again for about a year should not still offend me at the current age that I am now. If so, I'm a little bit older than 17. For those of you that don't know, if that is the case, then what's happened? I have not matured. I have grown older, but I haven't grown up. 
and we need to grow up, right? We don't just need to grow old, we need to grow up. So we're striving for spiritual maturity. Going through uh, diverse trials helps us get there. Because some things that we maybe didn't understand before, we can get a better understanding of now. Does that mean you're going to know everything? I still, sometimes people will ask me about what a you know, particular scripture means. Or, you know, like my favorite, when you're out in the middle, you know, just of anywhere doing something, and somebody will come up, you know what the Bible says, and, you know, Luke, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no. You want to tell me what it says, then maybe I can, but, you know, I don't have all 66 books committed to memory. Or they, you know, ask you, where is that scripture when, you know, the Lord hears, hear, uh, heals the lepers? Like, um, well, Bible Gateway says it's here because that's what I use when I need to find <laughs> where something is. But when we're moving to spiritual maturity, at least that helps us. I mean, we ought to know, you know, some scripture, some gist of like if somebody comes to you 10 years into this thing and asks you, where is that scripture that says cleanliness is next to godliness? You can say, not in the Bible. (laughs) You know, at least you can say that 10 years into it, one year into it, maybe not. 10 years into it, you ought to be able to say that. Or if somebody comes to you and asks you, um, where is the book of Moses? And then you can say, well, there's several books that mention Moses, but he did, he's not, there's not one titled after him. You know, 10 years into the game, you ought to be able to say, there's 66 books of the Bible, not 100. You know, just some, you know, some things as we're growing to maturity. We want to be perfect, perfection being fully grown, uh, fully developed. That's our goal. And so we know there's some things that we have to do to strive to get there. If any of you, verse 5, lack wisdom, let him ask of God that gives to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Now, wisdom. We've talked about wisdom lots of times. We even did a, a Bible study once or twice on this particular verse of Scripture. Wisdom has to do with the, uh, the application of knowledge. And of all the times I have looked at the definition for wisdom, only the past few days when I was looking at it again, did that one word jump out to me. Wisdom being the application of knowledge. Knowledge jumped out at me because I thought, you know, we pray for wisdom, which is, Lord, help me to know what to do, how to handle this situation. And he will give us wisdom. He will teach us how to apply the knowledge, the information that we have. But what happens if you don't know anything? I thought, well, now, (laughs) when I'm praying for wisdom, I may want to take a step back and get some knowledge in my head first. That's also a step to spiritual maturity. To ask God, when I'm in the midst of a trial, Lord, what do I need to do? He will work with us in showing us the best way to apply the information that we have. But if we haven't gotten any information in there, you know, let's give him something to work with, right? Now, he can send somebody along that says, this is what you need to do. But I don't want to wait for somebody else to hear from God. And then they finally decide, is that you, God? I don't know. You know how we do when we hear from God. Let me see. If it's you, I'm going to put the sheet outside, and if it's wet and the rest of the ground is dry, then I'll know that that was from you. 
And then the next day, well, if the sheet is dry, you know, wet, you know, we know how we go through trying to figure. And so then you got to wait for that person to agree, okay, yes, I did hear from God. Uh, you want me to tell uh, Pastor Samiko so-and-so, well, now let me go see if I can find her. Well, now I don't have time to go looking for her. So maybe I will stumble across. You know, I don't want my answer held up like that. So if I can spend some time getting some knowledge into me, like if, if I know that, you know, I mean, y'all know that we, Pastor Ryan, I've been you know, working to get things paid off and get out of debt. We want to, you know, have a debt-free existence. Well, so while I'm praying for wisdom to that, well, guess what else I'm doing? I'm reading some information about proper budgeting, about how, you know, different ways to pay off bills and, you know, how to not, because when I grow, I don't know about you all, but I don't know how it happened to me. But somehow in my growing up, I equated credit cards with success. If you could apply for a credit card and get one in your name, that meant, hey, you are somebody. And so now I have to undo that thinking or I will like flip out, you know, the credit card like, hey, I am somebody and I am somebody who owes. <laughs> I don't want to be somebody who owes, right? Because that's what my credit card and, you know, in effect, it does say that I am, um, I have reached a level of success, right? I have attain the ability to borrow and pay back and pay back and borrow. And I don't want to be that kind of successful. But that means I had to undo some thinking that was in my mind. And so when we get, and Lord have mercy, we get a bazillion of them now. You start paying off things and saying you don't want them anymore. People, they will call. They have called us on the phone. Don't you want to come and borrow some money? And I'm like, no, I don't. But thank you. You know, credit card offers in the mail. You know, you can get this card or this card, and we just rip them up, you know, rip them up. Sometimes if I'm in a particular trial, I may hold it and be like, oh, the things I could do. <laughs> the places I, you know, when they say never leave home without it, maybe I don't want to leave home without it. But then, you know, because I'm going towards spiritual maturity or perfection in that area, and I have taken in some knowledge as to what that means, then I can pray for wisdom and God helping us to achieve debt-free status. And he can say, he can let me know, uh, based on the, the knowledge that I have, Simiko, don't even take it in the house. Just rip it up. Leave it at the post office. You don't even need it laying around. Don't even call them to see what the limit is going to be. It doesn't matter. You know, don't even activate the card if they send it to you. Just close the account, shred it up. Don't even put yourself in that situation where you say, well, I'll just have it for a rainy day because people, it will rain. You know, it, it doesn't matter how many droughts, how many, I, I have lived through more than one drought, but you know what? It always does eventually rain. And if you're saying, well, this is going to be my rainy day credit card, you're going to be swiping that thing before you can count to 10. Instead, have you some rainy day cash. See, that didn't even cost you anything. There's some knowledge for you, and then you can get some wisdom to go on that. So if, you, if we lack wisdom, when it says God will give to us liberally, he will give you enough for you and extra, and you can share. You know what liberally is. You know, when, when we were kids and our moms applied the Vaseline liberally to our faces before they sent us off to school. You had that nice shiny glow that had nothing at all to do with the Holy Spirit. That was liberally. 
enough to moisturize and extra to get you through the day. Okay, he will, uh, he will give to us liberty and upbraideth not. He won't chastise you. He won't say, I can't believe you don't know this by now. Now, we will do that to each other. Right? Are you really asking me this question now? How do you not know? But God doesn't do that. Fine, you need wisdom. Here's some wisdom. And we will need wisdom as we're going through trials in our lives. Because even though we are saying, Lord, I want to come at this with an attitude of joy. I want to know that I'm going through this for a reason. We will still need wisdom in, Lord, what do I need to do? How do I need to handle uh, this situation? Now, it also asks us when we ask, tells us when we ask in faith uh, to ask uh, in faith, nothing waver, not to be double minded. What does it mean when we are double minded? Well, just like what it says, we have two minds. I think this way about it now. I think this way about it later. I'm not really sure. I'm kind of going back and forth. Have you ever been that way in something? I've been that way in something to the point where I irritated myself. I'm like, Samiko, just decide. (laughs) Just. You know, and it is aggravating when you cannot. You're like, well, let's do this. No, let's do that. First Kings 18, 21. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. Sometimes you just have to tell yourself. You just have a good old conversation with yourself. How long am I going to be halted between two opinions? Either I believe that God is God and he can do this or I don't. Either way, I need to decide. And if the decision for you in the middle of whatever trial you're going through has to be, I know I should believe that God can do this, but right now I don't. I I think I'm in this on my own. At least then you have a starting point. And then we know there's some word that we need to get in us so that we can have our mind renewed in that situation to believe that God does uh, know what's best for us. Because just like Eve in the garden. Somehow in the back of our mind, we think God's holding out on us. And that's what happens when we don't obey him. It's because we're not entirely convinced that he is not holding back something good. You know, and and I don't know if we have, you know, if you ever seen like the movies with they when they have the Greek gods up in the, is it the Parthenon? They have all that. And they, you know, are looking down on the humans and they will, you know, give them something and take it back. Give them a little something, take it back to see how they're going to respond, to see what they're going to do with each other. Somehow, I think we have that image of God sort of subconsciously in our minds that there is something better out there and he may or may not be letting us have it. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. He's not dangling something in front of us to make us do wrong to see how we're going to act. If we can ever come to the knowledge of that, he is not holding back something on us, from us. Then when we get to uh, needing him, you know, we won't be double-minded because we'll already instantly know, well, God only wants what's best for me. And I know that he can help me through this situation. So I'm going to try, I'm uh, I'm going to trust him, and I'm going to do what he says to do. And we won't be halted between two opinions. We don't want to ever be double-minded. Because when you're double-minded, you don't, you don't accomplish anything, do you? You just spend time going back and forth. And when we go to God and pray for something, but we are double-minded, you believe today, you don't tomorrow, you can't help that he, hope that he's going to give you anything. Because what is he going to know to give you? Because you don't even know what you want. And so we want to be single uh, in mind. 
you know, help me to know what I need to do in this situation. And sometimes we don't even know how to pray and we just have to say, Lord, help me to pray. Holy Spirit, that's why it's so good to be able to pray in the Spirit because you can say, Holy Spirit, just help me pray. I don't even know what to ask in this situation. All right, on down and through there, when we're going to hear about, you can read on further, where it's talking about trials uh, and temptations. Don't ever think that temptations, temptations come from God. What I want you to look at is that they are kind of uh, two sides of the same coin. When we go through trials, uh, you know, difficult times in our lives, there can be some testings on the outside, like we talked about, you know, with the chairs and with the cars, some just seeing how strong your faith is going to be, how much can you handle, we're moving forward to maturity. Well, during those difficult times, because, you know, our, the enemy does what he does, you take advantage of people's weakness, there will be temptations. Temptations do not come from God. Temptations are invitations to sin, you know, opportunities uh, to be disobedient. He doesn't dangle sin in front of us and see if we're going to take it. That would be an unjust God, and he is not an unjust God. But temptations will come when we're in those difficult situations because there will be some form of desire there. Desire in and of itself is not bad. It is, you know, needing to fulfill something in our lives. What goes wrong is when we choose um, the wrong opportunity to do what needs to be done. Case in point, you're in school, you want to make a good grade on the test, you get the test in front of you and you realize, huh, I'm not sure if I've ever really been in this class. I don't know what this is about. <laughs> so what you want is to make a good grade. At that point, you've got some choices, don't you? You're going to be tempted to cheat off the person next to you who's already circling answers a mile a minute. Now, your desire to make a good grade is a good desire to have. Cheating on somebody else's test is not the way to do it. So there will be opportunities when, when we're in difficult, because right then, that's a trial, right? That's a testing, uh, not only of the information that you were supposed to have learned, but a testing of your character at that point. Or you're going to say, you know what? I'm just going to have to take the hit. I thought I was prepared, but I wasn't. So I'm just going to make a little pattern, A, B, C, go down, and maybe I'll get one or two, but I'll just take the hit on this one. But at least I walk away from it knowing that I haven't compromised my integrity. And then, you know, maybe have a conversation with the teacher after. Can I do some extra credit? Can you help a sister out? Some of you, can you do something? But if we give in to the wrong desire and we cheat, the deception that always comes in is that the sin is not as bad as you think it is, right? Because if we realize the consequences going in, we wouldn't do it. And what are the consequences? If you could remember in that moment that if I cheat off this person's test, I may get caught. If I get caught, not only am I going to get an F, there's going to be a call to my parents. Or if you're in college, you may just be thrown out of the class altogether. Nobody's going to trust me anymore because now my integrity's shot. And if I have at all told anybody about the love of Jesus Christ, you can forget that. That testimony's gone out the window as well. I'm not even sure if I'm going to be able to trust myself, and I'm going to feel all icky on the inside because I did that. If during that moment, if we could remember those consequences, it'd all be roses. We'd be good. You're like, you know, it's not worth it. 
But the deception that comes with temptation is that we can never remember those things. You know how when you're watching it on a movie and somebody's about to do something stupid and you're yelling at them, come on, don't, but they don't ever hear us. Why don't they hear us? Same thing, the Lord's like, no, don't, and, and we just tune him out. I mean, think about if David had known while he was standing on the rooftop looking at Bathsheba take a bath, that if I, you know, I mean, you know, hey, if I follow through on what I want to follow through on, I may have pleasure for a little bit, but if he had known that after that encounter, she was going to get pregnant, the baby was going to die, he was going to have to have her husband killed, a very good soldier in his army, it was going to then forever wreak havoc in his household. Eventually, he would have a daughter whose half-brother would fall in love with her and rape her and destroy her life. If he had known that, how many of you know that dude would have just back, slowly back away? One naked woman, good as another one. Can we just get away from this rooftop? She is not available. If he could have seen that. So we should pray that we won't be deceived. If Eve could have understood the consequences of her actions, if Adam could have seen past thinking that God must be holding something back and seen the consequences of his actions, he would have been like, you know what, Eve, no, we're not going that way. And if she had said, I've already eaten, and I'm like, I'm sorry, honey, I, I can't eat with you. I'm not going down that road. Perhaps, the Lord, when I wake up tomorrow, I'll have another wife. <laughs> However you got here, maybe there'll be another one. If we could see past the deception. But when we don't, in comes the disobedience. That's when we do the act. The desire becomes, we put action to it, and you look over and you cheat. And you start what you don't know could be a lie. And you may get away with it the first time. And all that does is give you a false sense of security for the next time. It strengthens the deception for the next opportunity. But always know that the result of sin is death. There's not even an if. It's a when. And it's a what kind. It may not be a physical death right then, but it's going to be the death of something. The death of your honor the death of a relationship, um, the death of your witness to that group of people that Jesus is Lord and he loves us is going to be the death of something. It's going to come. When you're in those temptations, don't ever think that that is of God. Temptations don't bring you to spiritual uh, maturity. He's trying to get us mature. He's not trying to play games with us to see whether or not we're going to last. Temptations don't come of God. But temptations will come when we're in those difficult situations, when our patience, when our faith is being tried, is being tested to see if it's strong enough. When we feel uncomfortable, there will be opportunities to alleviate the discomfort, to alleviate the pain. Let's be watchful of those. And one last thing before we end, he mentions, uh, if you've read it, he like he's almost like he goes off on a tangent about those who are poor and those who are rich. And he's not anti-rich, but you have to realize the group of people he's talking to have a lifetime of believing that the wealthy uh, are favored by God. That when you have a lot, that means that God's favor is on you, that God loves you, and that he's blessed you. And when you have nothing, that means that he doesn't love you. Well, then you've got uh, a group of people who remember we talked about as they became Christians, uh, the Jews 
uh, who converted to Christianity were shunned by the Jews that had not and were also shunned by the Gentiles uh, because they had not had, you know, relationship with them in the past. And so you have people here that may be suddenly poor. And so when they have in the back of their minds that those who are poor don't have the favor of God, then you have to minister to them and you have to let them know that God loves us all, whatever, whatever your economic status. And trials are a leveler. Why is that? Because trials come to the rich and the poor. Doesn't matter how much money you have, there's going to be some testing of your faith. And it's going to need to work some patience, some spiritual maturity in you. And so he says, if you're poor and trials come along, if you let God have his perfect way, you will become spiritually mature. But you know what? If you're rich and trials come along, you have to also disregard all the wealth that you have because there'll be some problems money can't fix. And you'll have to trust God. And when you let God have his perfect way, then you will also be spiritually mature. So neither rich nor poor. It's everybody. Thank you guys so much. I took an extra five minutes. Hopefully that's okay. We will continue next week in chapter one. We pray that you are richly blessed by today's message. We would love to connect with you. Just go to our website at kingdomrock.org. You can become our friend on Facebook or follow us on Twitter and subscribe to our YouTube channel and a whole lot more. Right there at kingdomrock.org. We would love to hear from you. And if you're in the Bremen area, please stop by and join us every Sunday morning. Sunday school is at 9 a.m. and Sunday morning is at 10. Wednesday night, we have what's called Hour of Power. It starts at 6.30 p.m. All are invited. We're located at 180 Helton Road in Bremen, Georgia. Give us a call at 770-537-1933. We would love to hear from you. And if you have a prayer request, by all means, please log on to our website at kingdomrock.org and click on the prayer page. Until tomorrow, remember that Jesus is Lord. Choose him as your Lord today. Only he can make a way.